Please be seated, take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 13. We continue in our Lord's teaching in parables, and we come tonight to the parable of the weeds. After having heard last week the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. After prayer, the reading begins at verse 24 through the end. No, not through the end of the chapter. I take that back. Beginning at verse 24 through 43. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you again. We come by the mercy, merit, and majesty of Jesus Christ. We ask in his name for your help now. Help us in our hearing. Help us in our understanding. Help us in our believing. Help us in our obeying. Help us indeed be reformed according to scripture. We pray, Lord, that you would continue your gracious work of sanctification. And even if it pleases you, Lord, Take up your gracious act of justification tonight. Father, we pray that your word would be effectual and that it indeed would go about in the same generosity that we see in the sower, with the same sovereignty we see in the sower, that your word would go out and not only make the soil good, but bring a harvest from that which grows in it, the heart of man. Keep us, protect us, O Lord, in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 13, 24. This is God's word. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping... His enemy came and sowed, and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. 
I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears... Let him hear God's holy word. Well, we might as well say it right at the top, for it might be useful for any one of us, perhaps even all of us. What this parable of the weeds is about, it is about the fact that the divine sovereignty of the sower, Jesus Christ, the king, has declared that now is the time of saving men, not of judging them. I will prove this to you, Lord willing. And we will repeat it again. So the parable of the weeds takes up the majority of our reading. First, it's presentation, and then later, it's interpretation. And this parable of the weeds, is, it is only recorded by Matthew... But it would have sounded very familiar to the crowds that first heard it. Because this parable of the weeds is basically a story of agricultural sabotage. This kind of thing went on. It's well documented in the history of man. Sometimes an enemy would sow a bad seed in the field of another farmer whom he hated and wanted to ruin. Even if it was just jealousy, these things would happen. Jesus finds in that rather common occurrence of the evil of men, he finds an opportunity to teach on the way his kingdom works in the present age and in the age to come. Now, in, the last, in last week's parable, the parable of the sower, you might remember that all the seed was good, but the soil was the problem. Well, in tonight's parable, the soil is good, but the problem is with the seed, the tares, or following the Greek, the zizania, or maybe to be more specific, the darnel, which is a weed related to ryegrass. And one scholar tells us that in the early stages of growth, this darnel resembles wheat but with narrower leaves, and it ends up producing, eventually, a smaller ear of grain. Its grains, though, are poisonous. So that to have it mixed in with wheat renders the crop commercially useless and even potentially harmful. A Darnell infestation would not be readily visible until the plants begin to form those ears 
And by that time, it would be too late to eradicate the darnel without harming the wheat because their roots are intermingled below the surface. So let's move through the presentation of the parable. And of course, we'll go through it again when we get to its interpretation. So notice in verse 24, the sower. The kingdom of heaven has an active and generous king. He is out and about sowing. He is an owner of initiative. He goes out into his field, not willing to leave it barren. He goes out and sows. The field is the world. He seeks a harvest and does the first great work necessary to achieve a harvest. He takes initiative and sows. He sows a good seed. Who do you think Jesus Christ is? Do you think he is a stuffy, cloistered, ivory tower, distant Lord? Not at all. He is in sandals, sowing in the world his good word, his new life. And the sowing, as we shall see in the interpretation, are the, kingdom, are the sons of the kingdom. Well, the sower of the good seed has an enemy. The enemy cannot stop the sower, but he can try to sabotage and try to complicate the sower's harvest, try to weaken the return. And that's what the enemy is about. Now, the servants are perplexed by the weeds in their master's field. Did not the master only sow good seed and not poisonous darnel? Surely our master is smart enough to only sow that which is good. So the servants cannot comprehend that an enemy may have done this, this sinister thing in their master's field. The servants have such a high view of the sower, their master, they cannot imagine any opposition would rise against him or anyone would dare touch his property. We might say that these servants have a over-realized eschatology. They think that their master, his kingdom, his field, would have no competitors, that he himself would be sure to keep out all enemies. Hmm. Now, the first inquiry then is, why is this field mixed? Notice the answer, and then we get to a second inquiry in verse 28. The master tells his servants plainly what has happened. An enemy has done this. But once again, the servants are slow to understand. They propose an immediate solution that is most satisfying to them. Then do you want us to go and gather them, the weeds? They cannot imagine, they cannot imagine that the master would tolerate this treachery for more than a day. Again, they view their master's work as unworthy of such complexity, unworthy of such patience, unworthy of such kindness. They say, let us get out there and pull it up. Now, you might, you might begin to make some connections here. Our Lord Jesus is telling this parable because he is hearing from those who are attracted to his ministry 
that they want a kingdom to come now that will fully drive out the ruler of this world and his minions. They want a kingdom that will defeat all evil. Remember what John the Baptist was asking through his messenger whom he sent to the Lord while in prison? Now, John basically said, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Why is John even wondering about that? Because John is surprised to see that Herod is still on the throne. And even more personally, John is surprised to see that his body is behind a prison cell. If Jesus is the king of kings, if he is the messianic Lord, if he is the one of the last day's kingdom, how is it that evildoers thrive and godly servants are imprisoned? The Lord is giving this parable for his disciples, for his church, to not have a misplaced understanding of the kingdom. <clears throat> so the Lord has answered. Then he gets that second inquiry, should we go gather? And he answers that in verse 29. And he rejects their plan. He gives a reason that shows insight, that shows regard, not for the tares, but for the wheat. No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. The roots of each plant now entangled under the, under the earth to pull up the weeds would harm the wheat. It would dislodge it, unsettle it, weaken it, perhaps destroy it. The master then says to them, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the separation of the enemy's work from the master's work will not come until the harvest. This is the way of the kingdom of heaven. On the day when all growing is over, the last day, the end of the age, then the weeds will be separated from the wheat. The wheat will not be lost, but the weeds will be burned. Let us understand something, and this might help us as we move through the rest of our text. What we need to learn from this parable is that the world is now under the dominion of the Son of Man. The disciples knew this. And that's why they were surprised that the world, now being under the dominion of the Son of Man, was still tolerating the presence of the devil's servants, his own offspring. Remember what our Lord said in John 12, 31? He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He said that a week before, well, less than a week, before he was crucified. He was referencing the cross work that he was about to complete and follow up with resurrection, ascension, and enthronement. Jesus 
in his death, resurrection, and enthronement, became the ruler of this world. The old ruler of this world was cast out. Satan lost his title to the world in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The world is now the kingdom of heaven. Yes, this might cause a couple scratches on the head. The parable makes it very clear that this is not talking about the church, a mixed church. This is talking about the world. The whole world now is under a new ruler. We even hear this in Revelation chapter 20, don't we? These same, the same echoes from John 12, 31 are stated very vividly in Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. The ruler of this world is cast out. Verse 3, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. The ruler of this world is cast out. So that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. The ruler of this world is cast out. There's a new ruler. We even see this in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, when the Son of Man comes on the clouds to the Ancient of Days, and he receives a kingdom. That's heaven's view of the ascension of Jesus Christ, who was taken up in a cloud. He receives the kingdom upon the occasion of his ascension and enthronement, and he is the ruler of the world. And what is he doing with the world? He has sowing into it sons of the kingdom. But for the disciples, the servants, some of the zealots of the zealot party, all these who were attracted to the ministry of Christ, they wanted all evil plucked right that day, cast on the burn pile right that day, and they wanted to see the fullness of the king's glory right that day. Jesus is saying, listen to my parable. I will teach you about the kingdom of heaven, of which I am king. It does not come in its full, radiant sun glory until the end of the age. It comes now in a small way, in a complex way, in a way that calls for patience. It comes now in a hidden way. It comes now in a slow growth way. It does indeed come now. I am ruler of it now. But I tolerate enemies in it. Because now is not the time of judgment. Now is the day of my salvation. You see, I am ruler in both. So now we come to verse 31 and 32 and 33. And we have two very more, two more very short kingdom parables. Now, these two parables in 31 through 33 are similar to the parable of the weeds in two substantial ways. There is something hidden and there is something growing. 
In the parable of the weeds, the wheat and the weeds are both hidden but growing. In the parable of the mustard seed, the seed is hidden from the very start because of its smallness. It becomes fully hidden when it is sown by the man into his field. It's buried, but it grows. It can't stay hidden for long. In fact, it grows substantially, even becoming a tree and a dwelling place for the birds of the air. So the mustard seed's full glory is not at first apparent, just like the kingdom of heaven. But later it shall be. The kingdom of heaven at first is small. It is despised. At first, the leadership of Israel rejects the kingdom of heaven. Many in Israel rejected it. At first, few true disciples took shelter in it. In fact, after the ascension, Acts 1.15 tells us the church at Jerusalem was numbered at, does anybody know? Bible trivia? Acts 1.15, 120. That's a mustard seed church. But this is the mustard seed kingdom. It is going to grow. It is going to become impossible to ignore. And the visible church of Jesus Christ is today all over the globe. It is quite a tree. It is taking over the garden. The reference then to the birds, that should remind us of what we find in Daniel 4.12. Do you remember what Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar when he tells him his dream and then interprets the dream? Nebuchadnezzar sees in his dream his own kingdom as a large tree. And in, his, and in this tree are these nesting birds of the air. But then that tree's cut down. Here's what the text says. The beast of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. In Daniel 4, the birds are not just individuals. They are nations and tribes and peoples who have taken shelter in the largesse of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom. But the kingdom of God, we are hearing, the kingdom of God is a tree that all peoples and tribes are now taking shelter in. People from all skin colors, all tongues have heard the gospel. There are children of God all over the world. Not all people are children of God, but there are children of God in every tribe, nation, and tongue today. They are the birds taking shelter in what started out as a very hidden seed. And this tree, the tree of Jesus Christ, will never, ever be cut down. Well, what about the leaven? Well, first, what is leaven? Some of you bakers know. In the ancient world, the regular method for bringing about fermentation in bread making was to insert in the new dough a small piece of the old dough. And that small piece of old dough was sour. Guess what they called it? Sour dough, a lump of leaven. Well, that fermented portion put in the new dough would then expand the new dough and multiply and indeed make bread. So leaven, like the mustard seed, starts out hidden, hidden in the flour, but leaven grows, and it will transform three measures of flour into enough loaves of bread to feed a household. Now, there's a lot of interesting dispute in the commentaries about 
what is actually meant by three measures of flour. And there's some well-regarded scholars who say this is actually talking about you know, 150, 200 loaves of bread. And others say, well, this is actually just talking about you know, eight loaves of bread. Well, either way, the point is that that which was small and hidden has been pervasive and has taken over more than it had at the beginning, just like the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is pervasive. It is going to infiltrate every part of human society, and it has. There are Christian magistrates. There are Christian teachers. There are Christian families. There are servants of King Jesus Christ all over the world. If you just read through the book of Acts, you find, about the, you find out about the believers in the Praetorian Guard. That's the secret service of the emperor whom Paul sends greetings from to one of the churches. The kingdom of heaven starts out hidden and small, but is pervasive and gets into everything. We should make our ears tingle a little bit when we hear about this hidden leaven. Our Lord Jesus just told us in our recent reading of Matthew, back in chapter eleven twenty-three, he said, oops, I'm sorry, that's not the right text. Well, in Matthew 13, 11, let's see if I don't get strike two here. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And in Matthew 11, he told, he praised God when he said, Lord, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise. Same word. The Lord is telling us that the kingdom of heaven starts out hidden. It is actually deliberately hidden by the Lord of the kingdom himself. But then it starts to get into everything, and you can't not see it. So even this, if you think that the church is under greater persecution today than it was 50 years ago, and I think that's a fair assessment, it, is, it simply just proves the point. The church is more visible. The church is more a nuisance. It's more a leaven in the world. And people are bothered by it. It's the kingdom of heaven, pervasive, though once quite hidden. Now, we come to verse 34 and 35, and the Lord gives us a quick summary again of the priority of parables. And this is very similar to what we heard him say last week in the middle of giving the parable of the sower. You remember in Matthew 13, 10 through 16, he told us the purpose of parables. And in short, the purpose of parables is to keep hidden from the crowds that which belongs especially to the disciples. But the Lord does bring the parables to the crowds. And he sets them before them in such a way that there will be some who will hear these parables and the parable will start to niggle in their brain and they will become restless under its teaching and they will seek out in the very same way we see the disciples seek out, what does this mean, Lord? So the parable is actually a way of sifting a crowd of those who simply want bread and those who want the bread of life. So another way, our Lord is saying the same thing in verse 34 and 35. He quotes from Psalm 78 too, 
I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now he's quoting a psalmist to make the point that he himself comes in the prophetic office. Even though he is a priest and a king, he is also coming and fulfilling the prophetic office. He is giving the utterances that were long foretold that one would walk among the people of Israel and speak in parables, and it is he. Well, then we move on to 36 through 43, and we have the interpretation of the parable of the weeds. Verse 37. The Son of Man is the sower, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the active, interested farmer seeking a harvest. Beloved, what is the Lord Jesus Christ doing right now? What is the kingdom of heaven doing right now? I'll tell you. I have it on good authority. Right now, it is, he is sowing into the world sons of the kingdom. He is raising up out of that mass of men who were once under the rule of Satan, and he is bringing them under his own rule through the salvation of the forgiveness of sins and the granting of repentance unto life through faith in him. That's what he's doing right now. He is not done doing that. He is sowing, even now. Verse 38, the field is the world, not the church. In the world, there are two sets of offspring, the sons of the kingdom of heaven and the sons of the evil one. Now, when we say this, we don't mean to exclude the possibility that in any visible church of Christ, there are false brethren or even sons of the evil one. But that is not the point of this parable. Right doctrine, wrong text. Here our Lord is putting a damper on the over-realized eschatology of his disciples, who are the servants in the parable, who want all evil vanquished and didn't have an appetite for a kingdom that would be so patient and such a rule of salvation. They wanted a rule of judgment. So back to verse 38. The field is the world, not the church. The sons of the kingdom of heaven and the sons of the evil one are both in the world. Jesus allows the devil to oppose his work in this age. That does not mean the devil is the ruler of this world any longer. He is bound, Revelation 20, verse 1 through 3. He cannot deceive the nations who were once left in darkness, left to go their own way, not any longer. Now the light of Christ is coming to the nations, and Jesus Christ is gathering and planting and gathering the sons of the kingdom to himself. Verse 39. And notice how quickly the interpretation gets to this point. At the end of the age, the harvest will resolve all confusion and conflict. The angels of the Lord will come as reapers, and they will gather all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Now, this is a very helpful expression for us. Sometimes we hear a well-meaning Christian or theologian say, 
The only reason people are sent to hell is because they didn't believe on Jesus Christ. Well, our Lord just countered that. The reason people are sent to hell is because of their sin and law-breaking. Because they are without a redeemer, without a mediator, without an advocate, because they are without the right robes of Christ's own righteousness, they then have to go before God and have their sins fully accounted for and their law-breaking fully accounted for. And here you see it, the king of the kingdom telling us himself, right? So the reapers come, they take those who cause sin and all lawbreakers, throw them into the fiery furnace of hell, the wrath of God, and once they are there, their true character will be heard in their weeping and their gnashing of teeth. That's the poison of the darnel, finally boiling. And that weeping and that gnashing of teeth, that is not the sound of repentance. That is the sound of, of complaint. That is the sound of self-pity. That is the sound of rage. There is no repentance there. Just worldly sorrow at best and rage against the judge and his so-called injustice. Verse 40 through the end. Then the righteous shall shine like the sun at the end of the age. The righteous will be covered then, not now. Then, not now, the righteous will be covered in the radiance of the master who sowed them. They will reflect the purity and light of their father who birthed them by the word of God, who himself is pure. They will not shine, though, before the harvest. They will shine after the harvest. Now, there's so many applications we could make about this parable. I want to certainly make one and then then repeat a second. The one main application I want to make, whatever instinct that we might find in ourselves or that we might have friends trying to stir up within us, or that we might have well-meaning thinkers even try to sell us. Whatever instinct we might have to, in this present hour, remove all evildoers from our nation, from our city, from the world, is not an instinct in accord with the master of this field. He is deliberately saying, no, do not think that you want a politic or a society that is somehow reborn that removes evildoers. Yes, you want the sword of justice to be brought against evildoers by the state, but it is not the mind of the king of the kingdom of heaven to in this hour demonstrate his rule by crushing all evildoers. He will do that only at the end of the age. Let that meddle with your politics in whatever way it must. It must be a leaven that gets into your thinking 
about Christian nationalism in whatever iteration you have heard about it. This parable tells us how the ruler of this world, who is now Jesus Christ, conducts his rule. He is conducting it now for salvation, not judgment. Let criminals be judged. But this is not the hour for the judgment of all evildoers. That is coming at the end of the age. Second point of application, very briefly. The Lord Jesus Christ is the ruler of this world. Satan is no longer the ruler. We should understand how epic shifting this is for people who are living on this side of his resurrection. Because Jesus is now the ruler of the world, that means he has broken and taken away the authority Satan had over the nations who were once in darkness. We can now, with authority and optimism, go to the nations and proclaim to them the way of salvation through Jesus Christ with great optimism and zeal that he is yet, because the clock, the reapers haven't showed up yet, and you're not shining like the sun yet. (laughs) I know what time it is. We can go with optimism that he is still sowing into the world sons of the kingdom. It is not the hour of his judgment. Let us not try to bring that which he only can bring. Let us bring that which he is bringing now, the good news of salvation. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the parable of the weeds, how it straightens us, on the things that you are about through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we will need an eternity to thank you enough that you have sown us into this world as sons of the kingdom and that you have indeed delivered us from being sons of the devil. We thank you and praise you And Lord, we pray that we would not be impatient, that we would not be despairing and think that what we see says you are not the ruler of this world. Lord, we thank you that you rule at present for the salvation of sinners. And all for whom you died will indeed receive the benefits of your atonement. May we indeed let them know And not fear, for the earth is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.